This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. We're back. We are back <laughs> indeed. I feel like we should have like an applause track or something at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we, um, we should probably just give, give a bit of an overview of like, well, we took a break took a break from our, our, our previous season um with a view of of kind of well i mean essentially this was to work around some uh, some logistical stuff that was going on on your side as well dave um and to kind of just rest the show for a little bit wasn't it i think so just felt like after 131 episodes it was a good time to just take a break um because yep. I, I think we said at the time that that inertia of doing the show every week every week every week I wouldn't say we got into a rut or anything, but it was like we didn't have time to properly stop and reflect on what we wanted the show to become yep. in the in the larger scale of things. Yeah, very much. I think we just dis- we discussed changing the name like what four times, five times. We revisited that. Um, yes, we did. <laughs> to the point where we even had a had a like a private Skype call where we thought, right at the end of this Skype call, we're going to decide on a name and we're going to do this and we're going to sort out where we're going to host it and all of this stuff will be sorted out. And we came away from the call being like actually we really like what we've got uh, yeah <laughs> so why don't we just lean into that even more um and basically left everything the same but it was Pretty a thought much. process that needed to happen irrespective of what we you know even though we ended up leaving everything exactly the same i think we had to have that conversation and that thought process to to be at peace to get with there it. yeah yeah uh, but i mean to that end we we have got plans for sort of uh of what this new season should be and, and where, where we're going with it, that um, it is a little bit different to season one, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, I think for me and hopefully you as well, um, I think the biggest thing is um, I, I just want to talk to loads more people. I feel like we're a bit too sort of insular with season one. Um, and I remember probably like around episode 60 or 70, we were like, yeah, the, it was sort of around January time and we are like, yeah, we're going to have more guests this year. And we just didn't. No. <laughs> I guess we've only got ourselves to blame for that because um, having guests on it there's a lot more to arrange and you know a lot of, lot of time zone issues because you're in New Zealand I'm in the UK yep. and I think we just kind of wimped out a little bit yeah um, I think so I think that's, that's probably fair to say yeah and looking back at the shows we did do with guests I look back on those as you know most fondly really I, th- I think they were some of our best shows and then when you say you take that break from doing the show every week you stand back and think what were the best shows and it was like well all the ones with guests really were my favorites so i think we should be doing loads more of that um season two and it's just you know hopefully make it a good uh kind of asset for the community i think is kind of what i'd like it to be yeah me too Uh, i'm really really looking forward to the guests that we do have lined up (laughs) yeah uh, this is going to be a good start to the to the season yeah um no better start than uh, with Charlie Chapman, um, who recently has launched uh, Dark Noise for iOS, uh, kind of like a white noise app. Um, so he's had a well, an incredible launch, really. He's only launched it about a week ago, and just sort of following along on Twitter has been great. So we've reached out, and yeah, Charlie kindly agreed to come on. So that's what this show is. So without further ado, here's Charlie. This is our first show back. Uh, not to put you under any pressure or anything um we've taken a bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> we've taken a bit of a break for the summer so this is um yeah kind of like the first day back at school for us really and uh, 
so at least you're here to to help us out so thanks for that that's um it's really cool to have you here. there you go <laughs> no thanks i'm i'm glad to have an excuse to like uh just get to talk about things because i've been annoying all of the people in my life uh constantly talking about everything so so now i can annoy uh more people on the internet <laughs> that is Excellent. the beauty of podcasting <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's like the subtitle for uh, the podcast section in the dictionary in like 30 <laughs> years. Oh, so you've had quite a week. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a good way to phrase it. Uh, <laughs> it's been quite the week. So what, when, just wind back a little bit, because I'm getting, I'm getting confused with days and weeks and stuff. When, when did you actually launch Dark Noise? Uh, so it was Tuesday of last week, August 27th. August, right, so we're now recording September the 1st. It hasn't been that long, really, has it? Well, no, day five? Yeah, it's been five days, six days, uh, wow. five days, something like that. Yeah. Well, it's confusing because, uh, so I did the, the whole iTunes uh, or App Store pre-order thing, and uh, I found out that the way Apple actually releases that is at midnight local time for all the people. So my statistics actually kind of start on Monday because... Uh, our friends over in New Zealand. Hello. Uh, as I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think you actually were one of the people that confirmed to me that this actually happened. Uh, it, it started downloading for you like middle of the day on Monday for me. And the statistics in the App Store actually reflect that. So there's like this little tiny bump on Monday. So I think it's been five days actually since the release from my timeline. So I guess we should probably just briefly introduce it for the audience, um, or perhaps you can if you want to, Charlie, just to briefly tell people what the app is. Yeah, so it's funny. I just have always assumed that everybody knows what white noise is, um, but I have gotten some feedback that some people don't. Um, so basically, it's a, a noise machine for making different types of noise. The The main one that most people do is called white noise, which a lot of like offices and stuff will pipe through the building to kind of give an ambient sound so that it's a more comfortable environment. You don't hear all the creaking of the building or anything like that. And since then, it's kind of grown in popularity and people use it to help their baby sleep or to help them focus or relax or whatever. Um, And so Dark Noise is the app that I made and it's got a bunch of different, it's a a whole bunch of different noises, white noise, rain, uh, crickets, snoring for some reason, uh, all sorts of (laughs) weird sounds in there. And a lot of people use it for a lot of different reasons, but it seems like the main reasons are to help help you sleep or to help people focus while they're trying to work. It's funny. I I've never I wasn't very really very familiar with um, white noise as well. Um, funny you should mention that. I obviously became a lot more aware of it when I, I saw you developing the app and launching the app. Um, right. Shocked actually um, at how well it helped me focus. It was when did you launch it Tuesday. I think it was Wednesday afternoon here in the UK. I um, had a bit of time while the kids were napping, so I tried to do some development. And I was just doing that thing, you know, where you just bounce between song on iTunes or Spotify where nothing quite hits the spot and you're trying to kind of get a good song on to get you in the in the zone, I guess. Um, and then it dawned on me. I was like, well, I've downloaded Charlie's app. Why, why aren't I using that? Uh, so I put on the airplane interior sound. Um, and I've never really used it before. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. But I was quite taken aback, actually, at how... Um, how effective it was at just kind of helping me focus on my work because I was there was a good twenty minutes where I, I just couldn't get down and focus no matter how hard I tried and that, that seemed to do the trick so um, yeah thanks I guess is what I'm trying to say <laughs> no that's awesome yeah that's yeah. airplane interior is my go to as well actually is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I like the like deeper sounds that are less like uh, harsh, I guess. And that one, it turns out, is extremely like mellow. And I, I always, I don't even realize it's playing for a long time until I turn it off, and then I'm like, whoa, silence is deafening now. <laughs> <laughs> so how, um, how are you feeling after the launch? I'm guessing it's been quite an emotional roller coaster, right? Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been interesting. Uh, a lot of things were what I expected. A lot of things aren't. Like, I, I was expecting there to be a lot of bugs and to sort of be scrambling to keep up with um, trying to get some sort of dot, you know, one or dot three update out to deal with some sort of terrible problem that I'm super embarrassed is out there. And that hasn't really happened. Um, but what has happened is just way more feedback and comments and stuff than I was expecting. And sort of keeping up with that uh, along with like, I'm trying to write up some blog posts to sort of dump all this stuff that's in my brain right now out so that I don't forget it all. Um, Just about what I did, what my marketing strategy was, all that kind of stuff. I just want to get it out there so that I can sort of move on. But because of that, I haven't, I haven't really like coded in a while and I was starting to feel really weird about that. Like, I don't know, almost guilty because everybody's asking for features and I'm like, yeah, of course I'm, you know, I'm working on that. But then it's like, well, I guess I haven't actually opened Xcode in like three days, which I don't know, feels like forever ago. Um, But I don't know if you saw Brent Simmons uh, of NetNewsWire fame. He just posted a blog post about, uh, because he just released a new version of NetNewsWire last week. And he, he released a blog post saying like, hey, after your release, you should actually focus on, you know, talking to the community and engaging with that stuff. And he, I think he even called out going on podcasts, which is what I'm doing now. And so hey. <laughs> uh, after after reading that last night, I actually feel a lot better. Like I feel less uh, guilty is the only word I can say. It's not like intellectually guilty, but emotionally guilty, if that makes sense. It's like this thing niggling in the back of my brain. I, th- I think when you um, come at this sort of thing as the developer, that's quite a common thing. It's kind of linked to, um, to how sort of developers quite often stereotypically uh, kind of don't really do so well with the marketing and that side of stuff as well. Your focus is the code, you know, because that's what got you started. Um, right. It's sort of making making the thing, and you've spent so much time doing that, that, that making whatever it is, um, that stepping away from the coalface to sort of go and handle everything else that sort of surrounds launching a product, it kind of can feel a bit, a bit alien, a bit weird. Um, obviously, you know, depending on your own personality and your background and that sort of stuff. Some people do really well with it, but I, I certainly f- have found it quite weird when I've been launching my apps to sort of go into that kind of like, okay, I've got to drum up all the interest. I've got to put things out there and handle all of that. And then you get, you put it out. And like you say, you've, you've then got to do all this stuff that's not code. I guess I was wondering really sort of thinking about all of this, how did you start sort of thinking about putting it out there to the world and, and, getting into sort of drumming up press coverage and, and that sort of stuff. Like my initial thing here, uh, if anybody's not familiar, like I was totally new to iOS development at the beginning of this year. Um, my company let me switch over to a iOS project despite having a zero experience, which I'm eternally grateful for. But as part of that, I wanted to, I set a goal for myself to get an app in the store just because for me personally, that's kind of the best way to learn is to build something on my own. Yeah. Um, it, but I didn't really think it was going to turn into anything. In fact, I put off paying for a developer license for a long time because 
I was like, well, I don't really want to do this unless I'm going to make enough money to at least pay for that. And I don't know what the logistics of making money on the store really are like. Um, but it wasn't until I finally did pay for it and I started uh, the beta period. And it kind of turned into this big beta group slash me asking people who are way smarter than me questions on Twitter and them answering. Uh, that whole thing turned into this little community, I guess. And suddenly, as I got closer to like a actual releasable thing, I realized I think I'm like onto something that people enjoy, and I might be able to actually get you know press coverage and do all that stuff. And uh, I have like a history of uh, marketing. Like that was actually originally what I was wanting to major in, and so it's a thing I'm interested in anyway. Yep. And so it was sort of like, I felt like I was getting to playhouse uh, what it's like to be a marketer. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to make a press kit and I'm going to make a little little video ad and do all this little stuff that I thought was overkill and sort of honestly silly and a waste of time whenever I was doing it. But I was doing it for fun. Yeah. Um, but all of that kind of combined together to be, uh, it seems to have really paid off actually. So that's been kind of interesting. So was it just uh, a case of, just emailing out to the press or did you have sort of any contacts that maybe you'd spoken to earlier through the development process or is it you kind of wrap things up and then it's like, right, I need to email these people. Well, so, um, Jordan Morgan, if you're familiar with him on Twitter, he released an app called spin stacks a couple weeks ago and he wrote up a blog post about everything that he did. And in one of his sections was, uh, one of the things he regretted was reaching out to the press late. Like, he didn't do that until later. And so as soon as I read that, I was like, well, I guess I should probably do that. So I looked up a whole bunch of different uh, journalists that I know from different tech blogs and everything. And I emailed a whole bunch of people. And I got a couple of responses that were like, oh, cool. Thanks for sharing. But I don't I don't know if any of those actually paid off, like, in terms of getting an article written or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that, that the one really big one that happened was uh, Mac Stories and that one wasn't uh, i think that one was sort of luck uh because i i had made a bunch of these alternate app icons um for the app and they were all like references to podcasts that i really like and one of them was a reference to connected which is a podcast that federico vatici the uh editor-in-chief over at mac stories that he does and that kind of i don't want to say it went viral viral but from my perspective it went viral on twitter um, and got kind of a lot of attention to the point of him even noticing that. And so I think that's how I got on Mac Stories radar. And then uh, Ryan Christoffel ended up writing a really amazing, and I'm probably going to print it out and put it on my wall, uh, article about the app on launch day. And I think that's what really got the app the attention that it's getting. Yeah, I guess it just goes to show, doesn't it, that something that you, at the time, you think, oh, this this is not worth the effort can actually pay dividends in ways that you may not have expected yeah i've been trying to think of like what's the lesson here and i almost feel like uh spending time on things that maybe aren't really worth it but are things you're passionate about is one of the ways that indie devs can stand out because that's the type of thing a company is never going to do because it's because it's not really worth it but if you do a bunch of those and you allow yourself the indulgence of doing something fun that you're passionate about one of them might like strike a chord because it's different than what you'd expect. Um, and I think, I think that's what happened with those app icons because they were just an indulgence on my part for fun and to sort of reference all these things that I love. And, uh, and it seems to have paid off in sort of an indirect way. Yeah, I guess it kind of speaks to the, 
you know the level to which you're willing to take the craft of building an app and that's the kind of thing that maybe a, a site like mac stories would look on really favorably because i get the impression that they they generally kind of like the kind of indie apps that you know a huge amount of effort is put into the design and and, and the polish that like you say maybe you wouldn't get from a like a big company's app because you know i say it's just not kind of worth it when you look at it on a balance sheet but from an indie's point of view they can they can put that in that's cool though it's really cool i'm, I'm pleased that I remember seeing it as soon as they posted it. I was like, oh, that, that is so awesome. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah. really cool. That was a crazy experience. And yeah, I will not forget that launch day. I'm glad I uh, I took the day off from my jobby job and just let it all wash over me because <laughs> <laughs> I doubt I'll get something like that again. Uh, definitely not in the same way because, you know, it's the first time. And yeah, that was wild. You've, um, you've done something uh, not a lot of people do sort of post-launch and you've been sharing download numbers kind of giving people a bit of an insight uh, you know in, into the the process and uh, and what's happening sort of on the dev side and in, in terms of people buying the app and and those stats and that sort of stuff what kind of made you decide to do that so i gotta give credit again to uh jordan morgan of uh spend stacks uh fame he did a very similar thing whenever he released his app he just kind of throughout what what a lot of the numbers were uh like his first week numbers and stuff like that and for me that was invaluable because i had no idea what to expect uh other than you know everybody tells stories of if you do a paid upfront app there's going to be a huge cliff and the sales are going to fall off and all that stuff but it's all kind of vague in terms of what numbers to expect and what type of data to expect to get in yeah and so I, I personally found that really helpful, even if it wasn't for businessy reasons, just for my mental health reasons to kind of have some sort of expectation. And uh, I didn't really know what the negative to doing that would be. Maybe maybe I'll find out eventually. Uh, but for now, anyway, I, it's not like I have some reputation to keep or anything like that. So I figured if, if that was helpful for me, then maybe that will be helpful for some other people. And uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback that people seem to appreciate it. So yeah, I think it's been good. <laughs> it's, it's certainly been something that i've appreciated having having a view on i mean uh, sort of seeing the numbers and seeing kind of the flow that you've had in terms of people that that initial kind of spike and then stuff sort of tailing down and that side of stuff um it resonates very much to me I've, that's exactly what i saw with the with air synth earlier on this year and yeah you know i mean it, it varies depending on the type of app uh, but I think when you're, you're talking um, about an app that you know you've launched with with quite you know a good critical acclaim from the community around um, around apps and from developers and that side of stuff, it, it kind of makes sense. That, you know, you're going to see that kind of big big initial burst as everybody finds out about it and it's available, and and then you kind of things level out after that. You know, and you get right. That, then that, it that kind then of it comes down to like the. SEO of the app store because now yes. it's no longer people you're directly reaching but it's people that your static site as shown by the app store is reaching yes and that's that's a whole different ball game I imagine I, th- I think so and, and, and it, the interesting thing I think in your case is going to be sort of when does that kick in you know what does that look like and, 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 and that sort of journey as well because I, I kind of imagine you're probably still kind of in 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 somewhere within that initial first push at the moment yeah 
like especially with white noise and especially with making a white noise app that's not free <laughs> uh like it's definitely four dollars is you know super premium when it comes to a white noise app in terms of the number you see on the app store yeah a lot of them are subscriptions and those they're pulling in like some of them are like 70 dollars a month or something i don't know how that's working or if that's some sort of scam i don't really understand that to be honest but per per user yeah yeah wow okay it's i like i said i don't really understand what's going on there um, mm-hmm. and it's like this huge market there's there's all these big companies like calm uh if you've ever heard of them is is a really big app in this space yes and there's i think theirs is like it's like 70 or 100 dollars a year or something like that for that one which still Ooh. for for a like app is a surprisingly high number like they seem to have hit on something that people seem to enjoy and i know people that use it and they they don't feel like they're being gouged so i like that one i don't think it's like a scam or something but they've built something that people really seem to enjoy so i knew i wasn't going to be able to compete with that because they're getting like celebrities doing asmr or something like that so i kind of went on the other end but i'm on the very high price point for the other end and so once the sort of app apple followers uh fall off and like i've sort of tapped out that market i think i'm going to start uh feeling the pain from having an expensive app right next to a bunch of free ones it's good though in a way to see that a paid app can still enjoy the level of success you've seen if you listen to a lot of the narratives that go around it's almost like if you're paid up front you can almost forget it you know from 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 the start yeah so it's it's been really good actually because 3.99 is quite a, a confident price to put the app out at and you know, I, I don't, I don't blame you for choosing that price at all. I think that's a, a fair price for for what the app is. But there is this whole narrative about you know the value of or the perceived value rather of of apps. So I found this whole kind of story to be quite refreshing. I'm kind of in the middle of developing uh, sort of like an RSS style news reading app, and I still don't know what business model to pursue yet. I'm just kind of head in the sand on that one at the minute. I'm just developing an Xcode and hoping that I'll come to some grand solution at some point in the future. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it it did give me pause though, like seeing what seeing what's happened, thinking, well, maybe maybe I could just do paid upfront. There's something about subscriptions that still don't sit right with me for the most part. I, I see why a lot of apps need them to survive, um, but I'm yeah, I'm not sure I, I, I would do it for one of my apps. Um, I'm just wondering, did you, did you ever consider a different form of business model, like even if it was like an in-app purchase? Oh yeah, I have I have a Apple Note just like full of different pricing models and what makes sense and what doesn't um ultimately like i think i landed on this for two main reasons the biggest one is like i said i I don't really know what i'm doing at all and so uh having an app that or making a decision that makes my life simpler is is weighed a lot more heavily than maybe it would be for some other people because i don't have to deal with uh a, trying to figure out how subscriptions or in-app purchases work yet because I've never done that before. But also, like, if there's a bug with something related to a subscription or, or an in-app purchase, that feels like that's a bigger deal. And you need to be able to respond to that quickly. And I, you know, I have a full-time job. I don't know what my uh, support, like, world is going to look like or how quickly I'm going to be able to get to people. So I didn't want to set something up where um, I would be on the hook for somebody's money being messed up because i messed up an in-app purchase or something like that so that's that's part of the reason why i landed on that at least for now um 
But the other thing is like when I was looking at white noise apps, whenever I first switched to uh, iOS uh, like two or three years ago, I was frustrated that every app I looked at said free. But then once I downloaded it, I had to like figure out what the actual pricing model was. And it was sort of opaque. And there were so many of them. And so what I ended up doing then was I was like, you know what? I'm just going to look at paid apps because yeah. I don't even want to mess with it. And then even with the paid apps, most of them have all these packs. And like the, that one sound that you want is hidden away in some pack somewhere. And like I'm not disparaging that model at all. It seems like that that's worked out really well for a lot of people. But I kind of like the idea of making something that if you if you pay for it, you at least get access to all the all the sounds. And it's it's simple in that way. Um, and so maybe in the future, if, you know, I have zero sales, but I still want to be able to support this, I'll add some sort of subscription or something to help uh, make money. But I would really like it if I could at least keep that feeling of once you've given me some money, you're at least going to have access to the sounds that are in the app in a like easy way, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying with the whole uh, subscription thing. Cause I looked into what it would take to code a subscription once and it was, uh, it was pretty hardcore. I kind of wish in a way that Apple will give us subscriptions in the same way that they allow us to just set a price of a paid app. Yeah. In that you go into iTunes connect or, or app store connect, whatever it's called now. Um, say I want a subscription at this price for this many days go. And then the whole UI of, and, and yeah, the, the onboarding process is almost completely managed by Apple. And I think that would make an awful lot of sense, but right now it's, uh, I mean, it, you have to do receipt validation, get servers involved potentially. Right. Um, yeah, at that, it was at that point I was like, "Ooh, okay, maybe I, uh, maybe I reconsider my business model at this point." And it feels like it would be more consistent from the user uh, side too, if it was the same experience everywhere. Because right now it's like a lot of apps they're sort of hidden or they have a slightly different experience. It would really kind of give the user a lot more assurance um, in terms of like. Yeah, one of the problems that happens is that with subscription apps, they quite often bury the detail of how much the the subscription is going to be or how often it's going to renew that sort of stuff. They have to show it, but the UI is very, very much, you know, distracting you from the point. Right. And if it was a an Apple official UI, then it would be much easier to sort of see all the relevant detail and kind of get a grip of uh, of, of what that is for a user. So. I, I wish they would i really do i think it must be coming like, i think i think back to what, when my grandparents got a dvd player they put on their first dvd and the and the language selection menu came up and you know they scrolled down to english and hit okay and that was fine then they put on their other dvd that they had and it was a completely different user interface and they were like oh, what's this why, why why aren't all dvds the same and it's almost the same argument to be made with the way subscriptions are presented yeah that and uh trials built-in trials yeah (laughs) we've spoken at length about free trials i i I wish we could have real free trials again in 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 the uh app store connect if you will have a paid upfront app have like a 10 day 14 day trial when the trial expires a little thing that apple presents comes up saying hey your trial's up do you want to pay the money now or uninstall it and it just makes sense because i think that would give a whole new lease of life to maybe paid upfront apps because you know some of the paid upfront apps they do need to be quite a lot of money to be to be worth it to the developer. But if you if the user can have a real free trial, unrestricted access for X amount of days, I think at that point then, as developers, we can't really be complaining about how people won't pay for apps because they're given the free trials and it's up to us then to convince them that the app is worthy of their money. And and if it's not, it's not. That's fair enough. Um, 
but I, I think that would be huge if, if we could have that I, I remember going into Dub Dub this year thinking this is going to be the year we're going to get real free trials um, but yeah it, it wasn't to be is there is there like hints of that happening sometime soon not that I'm aware of. I mean, I did wonder whether the whole uh, marzipan or what turned out to be Catalyst uh, and you know Swift UI as well, maybe that would almost force Apple's hand because you, you, the way I initially saw marzipan was that, oh, great, we're going to get sort of iPhone and iPad apps on the Mac. But then flip that the other way and then sort of the, the, the complexity of a Mac app could also be transferred back to iOS in some ways. You know, there'd be apps that would be worth more money on the App Store, and then maybe Apple would have to step in and do something to allow users to have free trials um, in an attempt to get them to spend the money. But it, yeah, I live in hope. Yeah, it, it almost feels like it almost feels like there's some sort of business reason why they haven't done it at this stage. Yeah, I, I just I just don't know why. I can't see it. It just makes the most amount of sense to me. Um, but for some reason, they haven't done it. I guess Apple is kind of aligned with subscriptions at the minute. Um, right. If you look at what they're pursuing with their own services. And how heavily they've been pushing subscriptions to developers for well, several years now. Um, it would kind of fly in the face of that a bit, I guess. Although I guess every time that they introduce a service, they they give it a free like month or three month trial or something. Yeah, you can do you can do the trials with subscriptions. Um, I'm just thinking in the case of your paid upfront app. You know, yeah, you, oh, you, yeah, you set the price to three ninety nine, but then you could have a second drop down box for how long you want there to be a free trial for. Um, I think that would be pretty huge. Yeah, I think I feel like that's how like Steam or some of those game uh, stores work. Is you can have either they're all the same, or you can have different amounts of like trials where somebody can return the game. You know, I think in that case it's more like if it doesn't work on your machine because of some weird graphics card thing. So I guess that the reasoning doesn't necessarily apply, but I feel like that same it, it gives like a buyer assurance that. If you buy this, you have a chance to return it if it's not what you were expecting based on the marketing. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, Apple will refund people. Um, you know, I should know I've seen enough refunds of uh, <laughs> my app sales going back. But um, yeah, I, I, th- I think it just it just makes total sense. I'm looking at uh, the dock on my MacBook here now, and any serious app that I paid serious money for um, started life as a free trial. So I, d- I don't know why that can't extend to you know, the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store. I think... Um one argument I would uh, sort of put for Apple doing free trials in that nature is it's exactly what you were saying uh, earlier on, Charlie, about looking at other apps, seeing that they were all free, and then they're not really free. So you install a bunch, you check them out, you find out what the business model really is and how they're really going to try and gouge you. okay oh no that's a bit aggressive i don't want that that's an in-app purchase for something i'm never going to use that's nasty it's just show me an advert you know and you go through all that kind of process just to find what you want to use whereas if there's um a premium app with a free trial then that actually levels the playing field uh for for premium apps getting in front of users as well right because when they're when you're doing that taste test which is what you do every time you look in the store and you realize there's a hundred apps for that. Yeah, uh, you only taste test the free ones. Exactly. Right? You could do that same thing for the premium apps. Like I would have downloaded Carrot Weather a long time ago before I eventually did, if it was free, because I would have downloaded it along with you know Weather uh, the Weather Channel and uh, AccuWeather and all those other ones. But it was a long time before I was convinced at seeing enough positive reviews of people on Twitter before. I quote invested four dollars into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
and, and and again if, if if premium apps were able to compete in that same space with free trials then i think that'd have another effect of actually kind of upping the quality of everybody else as well you know there'd be a sort of market effect there where you know you, you've you've got to do um a, do a bit more because the visibility of those premium apps is going to be right there next to your uh you know i don't want to say scummy but a lot of these apps are in that space you know in in, in the absolutely sort of free like like you were saying um charging people 70 bucks a month or whatever for for a subscription you know probably in a kind of quite uh sneaky kind of way of going about asking for it it's um it'd be nice if if those apps had a little less space to sort of hide you know against apps that are premium and are actually genuinely offering quality and and uh a feature set that's worth buying you know yeah yeah we can dream (laughs) (laughs) that's what we're all doing here just looking (laughs) off into the sunset dreaming of a future (laughs) i think we were talking about you know earlier about one thing that sets your app apart from a lot of others perhaps is, is is the level of you know polish you put into the design and the thing that stood out immediately to me was was the icons for the uh for each sound in that they're animated I mean, where where did you even start to do that? Because animation to me is just this whole mysterious kind of element of programming that I haven't even gotten into. Like, the, you know, all I can manage really is like an animation when you're in a table view or something, and basically the OS does that for you. So <laughs> when I started seeing these icons uh, moving around, I, I was I was pretty damn impressed. So where, where would I begin if I even wanted to try and do something like that? Uh, well, I'm probably not the best person to answer that because I I have like a lifelong obsession with animation. Uh, that, that was my, my divergence before I went from marketing into, uh, software development was actually deciding whether or not I was going to move to California and become an animator and try to work at Pixar or go into marketing. And so that's been a thing that I've been like obsessed with since, you know, I was a kid. And so I've, I've been playing around, uh, with different sorts of animation software, eventually, you know, getting after effects and, I would do like freelance work for people and stuff. Um, even, even throughout, you know, my career as a software developer, just to kind of keep those skills up. And it's just a thing I enjoy doing. Um, and so usually I try to find an excuse to fit some sort of animations or something into work I do. Um, (laughs) but at my actual jobby job, it's usually like after hours and I have to convince people it's worth, uh, putting it in there because of the maintenance it's going to cost later, which is totally understandable. Um, but when I started uh, started doing this as a side project, project, I realized like, oh wait, this is all me. Like I'm allowed to just do whatever I want, and uh, I, I held off on it for a lot longer than uh, I probably could have, just because I was afraid of setting myself up for every time I add a sound, I'm going to have to add an animation, and am I going to regret that in the future? And uh, what eventually pushed me over the edge is uh, I was on a flight to Seattle for a vacation. And I brought my computer because I was going to work on the flight because I don't get to fly very often and there's something romantic sounding about that. So I thought I was going to be all cool with my laptop and I'm going <laughs> to work on the airplane, you know, on my tray and coach. And uh, pretty quickly I realized I don't know how to write software if I don't have access to the internet. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't really have any uh, like work that I could do because all of the things on my to-do list required me learning about UIKit or some sort of iOS feature that I don't know anything about. And so the thing on my list that was pretty far down that I had been sort of forcing myself to put off on was, Hey, 
try out making some animations. Uh, I use Lottie JS or n- not JS, Lottie iOS, I guess, uh, which is a thing that lets you build animations in After Effects, and then you can export those out as a JSON file, and then use their uh, SDK to pull those in, and it turns them into core animations. So that's what I use for all of that. Um, and so I was already very familiar with After Effects, so being on a plane ride and just playing around with After Effects is something that I could just do for fun. And so I made a bunch <laughs> of them, and it turned out, like, because of the constrained environment of uh, the animations you make have to work as core animations graphics, I could keep everything super simple, and it was just really, really fun to make. So throughout the whole process of building the app after that point, uh, I would actually make animations as a break from coding. So it ended up not feeling like a lot of work. And in fact, it was like really relaxing to make. So that's a long-winded answer to say, I don't really have good advice for anybody (laughs) other than find the thing that you're obsessed with that has nothing to do with your job and see if you can shoehorn that into your app. I think (laughs) think that's the actual answer there. (laughs) So you said about every time you made a sound, you'd have to make an an animation. Where, where, Where did the sounds come from? Uh, so initially my, my thought was that I was going to generate them all on the fly. Um, but I quickly realized that that was going to be pretty difficult because all the audio stuff, it was, it was fine to do that in the app, but actually having that run in the background turned out to be a lot more difficult if you're not just using Apple's like AV player and all their standard Mm -hmm. APIs for that stuff. So pretty quickly I changed course on that and I just generated some MP3s um, in audition and use those as the actual white noise thing. But then because I was using MP3s, I was like, Oh, you know what? I can just go ahead and pull in like a thunderstorm sound and some stuff like that. And so, um, there's a website called freesound.org, and people will post all sorts of sounds that you can use for, um, video projects and stuff. I've used it a lot in, for my videos, freelancing stuff. I've used it a lot in the past and most of them are, um, they just require attribution. They're all Creative Commons licenses. But the search function on that site lets you actually limit, filter the search to only uh, sounds that have been committed to the public domain. And so a lot of very, very kind people have recorded all sorts of sound and they just release their license completely and commit it to the public domain. And so that's what I used for everything at first. Um, but then because of my other, one of my other weird hobbies of podcasting and uh i used to like shoot weddings and stuff i have a whole bunch of microphone and recording equipment so i was like oh i should like try my hand at recording some stuff and so i ended up recording a whole bunch of those sounds myself too um so it's probably about i i I should look it up because i keep telling people different answers and i don't know the exact number anymore but i think it's about half of them are my recordings and then half of them are uh, uh public domain sounds or like some sort of mix of the two, because I've made a bunch of mixes that are trying to emulate an environment with a bunch of different sounds, if that makes sense. So was the, which one was the plane out of interest? Uh, the plane was the, the same plane ride where I started uh, animating, actually. That was a plane ride to Seattle. <laughs> How do you make them loop? Have you got some sort of tool for, for doing that? Uh, well, <laughs> actually, so Dave, the one from New Zealand, I don't know how I'm supposed to address you to, uh, individually. <laughs> <laughs> he actually helped me a lot with, with this. Originally, I was just using WAV files for everything. And so the AV player um, that Apple provides has an option where you can just say, loop this, and everything loops fine. And I would just make sure that the uh, sounds that I made in Adobe Audition would loop seamlessly. So like, if it was an airplane sound, 
I would just do a crossfade kind of in the middle and then I would chop the the sound in half and then put the first half at the very beginning and then the last half at the very end so that when it looped it was actually like completely seamless and then I would just crossfade the other ends. I probably didn't explain that very well. No, no, I, I, um, get, I get what you're saying. So that worked pretty well, but then obviously wave files are gigantic and so I was like, oh, I need to switch those over to MP3s and that's where everything went terrible because the way compression works uh i'll try not to get too into the weeds on it but like there ends up being this gap at the beginning or the end of the file unless you get really really lucky with the exact number of samples that you have and different players know how to like deal with this but it seemed like none of the um media players that apple provided could chop out that sort of gap whenever it looped it in uh in ios and so what it ended up building was a thing that would it would have two different audio sessions going and as one got close to ending it would fade the other one in and then that one would play and then as that one got close to ending it would fade the first one in again and so it kind of made this thing that would loop them with a crossfade in between um, which for a lot of sounds works really well and it's not really a big deal but especially for the sounds that are really really even um, like a fan or the white noise or kind of the airplane noise, although it's so bassy that it's not as big of a deal. Um, you would you would be able to hear that crossfade because like no matter how many different variations of crossfades that I put in there, I could never make it hidden on every single sound, if that makes any sense. So yeah. that drove me insane. And I spent forever trying to figure out a way to solve that. Um, and I f- spent forever trying to figure out a way to make the mp3s just loop without a gap and eventually i complained about it on twitter after somebody sent me a very nice email that sort of was saying hey i noticed i can hear the loop here and it's kind of kind of annoying you know not a big deal like the app like again the person was very kind in the way they said it but it sort of like got into my head right at that moment and i tweeted a big long tweet storm about the problem i was having and uh multiple people but dave being the one that eventually gave me the right answer chimed in and gave me ideas to try and uh what dave pointed me to was a way to let's see if i can even remember is a way to take a wave file and convert it into a calf file using it was a terminal command i don't even remember what the uh i have it saved somewhere because if i lose it i'll never remember it again Uh, (laughs) but it, it would turn it into a calf file and then that calf file could loop seamlessly with the player that um, iOS provides in the SDK, or at least the one that I'm using. And so that allowed me to switch all the sounds that had a problem with the other method over to that CAF file, and then that would be a completely seamless loop where you wouldn't hear the gap. Huh. Um, but CAF files are a little bit bigger, so the the sounds that are like more varied where you wouldn't notice that crossfade, I actually left those as the other one, just because mp3s are a little more compressible um so there's there's two different ways that it actually will loop depending on the sound oh there you go good work dave (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I can't tell you how happy that made me (laughs) Uh, it helped i covered something very similar um in in the day job a few weeks before so we had a need to um to send uh like a notification message notification message um, so a push notification with a payload that triggered a sound. 
um, and with that, it, the type of sound file that you use is a CAF file, or it can be. Um, and so that terminal command and that, that side of compression, I'd, I'd literally just done that like a, a few days before. <laughs> and so, so when you were posting, I was sort of thinking, well, hang on a second, they're, they're a different type of compression and they feel like they're slightly closer to the metal. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but it kind of feels like um, you compress to that format because it's quicker for it to get it through to the uh, the sound processor on the phone itself. I might be making this up, but it feels a little bit more optimized, and I think that's part of the reason for converting it down to CAF. Um, and it was more just on a hunch than anything else that it might fix your problem. Yeah, well, I'm I'm forever in your debt because. That made me feel so much better getting that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome to see because a few minutes later you were like, yes, it works. I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was one of the unexpected things with this whole process was the sort of iOS Twitter dev community. I, I know it can get toxic and, you know, especially whenever you get to a certain scale. And unfortunately, it probably helps that I'm a white guy, so I don't get as much of the toxic stuff thrown at me. But that has been just an incredible experience. Like the amount of help and kindness that people in the community has thrown my way has just been amazing. And like I said this before on a a different podcast, I think, but like there's a part of me that sort of feels like this app was like a team effort because there's like, there's design flourishes that are not mine at all. That were just ideas from other people that different parts of the app, like you can feel that person's influence on there. And I don't know. I, it feels really cool to me. Yeah, I, I feel like that side of things is kind of unique to the iOS community in some ways. I mean, it might not be. My, my view of, of other communities is quite limited, but it's certainly something I appreciate about the iOS developer community. You know, that, that sort of um, support that you get from other people and, like you said, the input on small things about design or this, that, and the other. You know, people are not, um, they're not too withholding and I think that's a big positive. Yeah, I think there's more, it seems like there's more people kind of doing their own thing in the iOS dev world. Uh, mostly, I guess, because you can. Because like where I came from was uh, more web development. And like it's rare that one person is kind of doing their whole thing on their own for like a React app or something like that. It's usually a team or you're building some sort of big ecosystem and maybe you're doing the react side but there's all these people that are doing the server side stuff for you but because of like the app store and people making these sort of small utility indie apps uh there's way more people that are kind of doing everything themselves and i I think that might be what breeds that um that community a little bit yeah it's um we're very lucky to have the community we have i think um and it's been it's been really nice just to see so I, i guess like you said almost like a relative newcomer to the community it's nice to see that people have just um just stepped up and, and helped you you know wherever possible yeah it's, it's, a, it's a, something that we shouldn't take for granted i think it's it's, it's it's really nice it's a really nice community yeah it's definitely in uh inspired me to try and do the same thing like i i was never a person who was that engaged with social media at all but definitely not on technical things because i just have never felt that confident in technical things before but I'm trying to, if I see somebody mention a thing uh, that I have some insight on, even if I'm not confident I'm right, I'll try to take the time to, you know, send a, an idea their way or something like that. Um, because 
like I said, it, it was so helpful for me and I'm extremely grateful for everybody who did that. So hopefully I can pay that forward a little bit. I think I'm the same in a lot of ways. Whenever someone asks a question on Twitter, my instant reaction is, oh, I, I probably don't know the right answer. And there's probably way loads more of like smarter people that, that do. And the people that are tweeting back, I think, oh, they obviously know what they're talking about and I don't. But yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for just, you know, sort of chucking your hat in the ring going, hey, try this. Um, I, I, it's something I've been more acutely aware of in the last few months. Um, so that's something I, I personally want to try and do more of. I just think it's having that confidence to, to put yourself out there and sort of risk being wrong in front of everybody. I think that's a lot of it for me, at least. Yeah, it helps that for me, like, there's no veneer of me knowing what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> I feel like my, my brand on Twitter now is that guy who doesn't know what he's doing, who's making a thing, and everybody's helping him along the way. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> there isn't this assumed expertise that I have to sort of defend. But, yeah, like I said, you know, when Dave sent me that thing about, um, about how to convert to a calf, somebody else had already sent me a thing saying, hey, have you tried out calf? And I was messing around with that anyway. And so like multiple people giving multiple pieces of input and then me talking back to all those different people, like maybe not one person could give me the whole answer, but because a bunch of people threw ideas out there, it kind of all coalesced into an answer. And that's the thing that I, I never think about whenever somebody else is asking a question, but that's kind of what I'm trying to think now is if somebody asks a design question, it's okay to just answer with, I think that looks good or I think that looks bad because X, Y, Z. And that person hopefully will have the wherewithal to like take your idea with a grain of salt along with all the other ideas that were thrown their way and then use that to build a more informed like decision later. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes an awful lot of sense. So one thing I was going to discuss. So yeah, the iOS community on Twitter is pretty strong and you kind of get that um you get that sort of immediate feedback and that side of things um one thing that we've tried to encourage sort of around this show is actually our slack channel as well um and i'm actually in a few different developer related slacks and 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 there's um there's a good ios community sort of exists in that world uh is that something you've you've benefited from as well charlie yeah definitely that that's another thing that i'm totally new to as of the last like i don't know a couple of weeks probably uh actually yours the one that you invited me to may have been the first one that i i jumped on i'm not sure but like a bunch of different people have invited me to different slacks and because it's like a a smaller community than like reddit or something like that and and like twitter where you know you're going to get drowned out unless you already have some sort of following um yeah with these if it's a smaller one at least or or you're on a smaller channel within a big one um, you can actually get feedback from people even if you don't have some sort of reputation or anything like that. And that has definitely been helpful. And like seeing people that you recognize from other places, you kind of build this uh, repertoire with different people in, in yep. a way. I, I'm i new to all this online, uh, having online relationship stuff too. I'm new to a lot of things. So I don't know how much of this I'm mixing with things that everybody already knows from Usenets in the 90s. But like building a relationship with a person through different mediums, you tend to have different types of conversations on different places. Yes. In Slack, Slack is definitely one where with the same people that I was interacting with on Twitter, I can have a little bit deeper of a discussion on some sort of minutia or something like that. And yeah. that has definitely been really cool. And, and your Slack in particular has been one that's been really nice. 
Uh, that's awesome to hear. Just for talk. Actually, I think that's where you answered that question about calf. It probably was. It's, um, yeah. it's certainly a side of Slack that I appreciate is that, and, and in our Slack especially, is that I can kind of talk about stuff um, without it being completely public. Like it is public, you know, if anybody wants to join our Slack, that's great. Uh, little plug, you just need to message our, our Twitter account, WFR Podcast. Um, we'll invite you in. But the point being is is that I can talk about stuff in there and it's not, it doesn't have that potential of being retweeted or taken out of context. So in terms of, of, um, of how brave I feel to talk about something I don't know much about, um, I feel a lot braver in Slack. You know, I can, we can have those conversations and, and nobody is necessarily putting you on the spot and expecting you to know everything about it. You don't need to qualify yourself in that way. Um, and the other thing is, is the back and forth and, and the way that the conversation gets that bit deeper. If you need to clarify something, it's a lot easier to do that as well. So I sort of tend to find like the the dev chats I have in Slack are actually sometimes more valuable than the ones on Twitter. It's a different type of conversation. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think I certainly feel a lot a lot less guarded when I'm in Slack. Um, sim- similar reasons, I guess, for what you're saying there, Dave. Um, but also, I guess, the people that you're in the Slack with, you possibly know a little bit better as well versus you know people that you may have uh, you know shorter, smaller interactions with on Twitter. So, I, yeah, I've, I've been loving Slack lately, um, especially the last sort of few weeks while we've been off the air, as it were. Um, Slack has been sort of like my main go-to. Um, yeah, can't get enough Slack, um, and it's. I think in particular, I, I enjoy our Slack. So I, I always say, if someone says to me, "I oh, like, how many people do you have on it?" It's like we don't have many people, but I'd say it's kind of small but perfectly formed. That's kind of how I like to describe it. We'll listen back to this in twenty years when some new upstart app is saving us from Slack because Slack is turned into <laughs> some terrible behemoth that we all hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, These, you, we're living in the golden days. <laughs> I guess the one final question I had was. Um, have you got any sort of future updates planned for, for Dark Noise? Any any features, any thoughts, anything that is at the top of your mind now that you think, I, I need to put that in an update? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> way more than I have time to actually get to. But uh, definitely the biggest one is the ability to mix multiple sounds. Um, my, my original plan was uh, the first thing I was going to do is try to get ready for iOS 13 because I sort of snuck in uh, right before 13 came out hoping that I could get maybe some press because everything's slow and that seemed to work out. But the downside to that is I now have like, what are we at? Two weeks or something like that to fully get ready for 13. Yeah. Um, which I was always testing with a 13 beta device because I figured the audience that I have is more likely to be on the beta than maybe normal. So I kind of wanted to make sure it wasn't at least a terrible experience for that, but I still need to be ready for that. So I have a small update plan for that. And then the next big thing I'll work on is um, mixing multiple sounds. And then what I'd really like to get in there is the ability to import your own your own sounds, whether it's from like a video recording or an audio recording or something like that. Um, just because the thing that I've found, which I didn't really expect either, um, through the beta period is lots of people have a very, very particular sound that they want. Like... And I guess I should have realized this because this is why I downloaded so many white noise apps when I was looking, because it's not that I want a car sound. It's that I want this particular type of car sound that's at this pitch and sounds like, you know, it, it's on this type of pavement or something like that. 
And I've gotten very, very detailed requests from people um, for specific types of rain sounds or specific types of whatever sound. And so I'd really like to get the ability for you to add your own because then at the very least, I have a, an answer for you, a way for you to get that in the app if, if you want it, even though I might not be able to get to that for a long time. Um, so those two things are definitely the big things that I have planned. And I, I have no idea how long that's going to take. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, wish you all the very best with it. Um, obviously loving the app. Hope it keeps uh, performing well for you. And uh, yeah, above all, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. We, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This, is, uh, this has been fun. It's been fun to talk to people that I've known on Twitter for a while uh, in person too. <laughs> yeah, in, in person's always kind of weird on Skype, isn't it as well? Yeah. Well, and it, it doesn't help if it's a podcast that I've listened to because for the first 10 minutes, you guys sound like you're walking through molasses because I'm one of the weirdos that listens at like uh, 1.5 X speed. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. You do sound like normal people when you talk in person. <laughs> wow 1.5x that's hardcore <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i want more podcasts but uh, i only have a limited commute <laughs>